We start the show talking about a robbery. This happened at an East Vancouver cannabis store. The owner now concerned for the safety of staff after that attempted robbery. And Charles Veraboff joins us now, the owner of Kingsway Cannabis, to talk a bit more about this. Charles, thanks so much for making some time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Tell us where your store is and what happened on Monday evening. Uh, We're on Kingsway near Victoria Drive, and at 8 o'clock p.m., we two customers had just left the store, and it was so close they almost held the door open for the culprit, and he walked in, and the minute he was behind the protection of the frosted windows, he pulled out a gun, he walked super fast up to the clerk, and she raised her head. He pointed the gun right at her. She turned around, hightailed it through the steel door, closed the door and locked it, and uh, left the guy out there by himself. He tried to get through the gate behind the uh, uh, into the staff area, um, or staff-only area, and he couldn't. So then he tried to pick up our POS system, and he couldn't do that, and he left. So the whole... Um, the whole incident took maybe 10 seconds, and he was in and out of there um, with nothing. That must have been terrifying, though, for your employee. Oh, it absolutely was. She was uh, shaking uh, all night long. Even when the police came down, she uh, she um, she could barely talk to him, and she uh, had a hard time writing out her statement. And uh, we drove her home at the end of the night after her shift was done, and yeah, she was she was really shaken up, and and th- there was there was more than her. We always have uh, double or triple staffing uh, for just for the reason you saw on the video. Uh, if if somebody does come in the store, there's always somebody in the back who can phone nine one one or. Uh, do whatever is necessary to protect uh, the staff that's out front. Right. And you mentioned this was the first attempted robbery of your store. Um, I'm I'm guessing like a lot or if not all of these types of stores, you do have security cameras and security measures in place? Uh, Yeah, we do. Uh, We do have the cameras and we have a steel door that's um, double locked. And uh, but that only goes so far. Um, Now, as an employer, it's up to me to provide a safe workplace for my employees. But the government is making that impossible for me to do because uh, part of being safe is allowing the public and the police and and, uh, off-duty police, uh, security, people driving by, people walking by, people on buses, to be able to look in the store and see what's going on in there. But by having the frosted windows, you can't see what's going on in there. Uh, If you were able to see what's going on in there, it's going to protect my staff. It's going to protect me as the owner. And it's going to protect the customers. Because imagine what would have happened if literally one second earlier um, he came in um, or one second later. Um, those customers, sorry, was second earlier, he came in. Those customers are still in there. They turned around. The girl walked in, or wa- she's walking out, and there's the guy with a gun right at this girl and her boyfriend. It could have got real ugly real fast. 
And luckily that didn't happen, but um, it, it could have. So we, the government, uh, really needs to revisit the whole frosted window thing. And here, here's where I have a problem. The first thing the government requires from the producers when they make cannabis for resale is to make their packaging non-appealing to children. So when children look at that packaging, they're not going to look at it and say, oh, I like that because it it has uh, pictures of gummy bears on it or whatever. It's got to be bland and plain and uh, just like tobacco packaging. So that's the first thing. So um, so when we buy it, it's completely plain. So if we have that out uh, in our displays and clear windows, kids are going to look in there and they're going to see um, non-appealing packaging. So what would what is the harm of having kids look into um, a cannabis store that has non-appealing packaging? Right. And, and I think that's one of the questions certainly that has been asked and is being asked more in light of what happened at your store on Monday. Uh, so it, it's the Health Canada rule. It's a federal government rule. And, and people will know this if you've ever walked by a cannabis store. The windows have to be opaque, either frosted or, or in a way that you can't see in. I, I've even walked by some that say that have writing on them saying that the reason you can't see in this store is because the federal government, it's a federal government law. Uh, so if you if your windows were see through right now and somebody was walking in front of your store what would they see uh they would see a retail store they're not gonna see now if they if people walk if they and here's the crazy thing they walk down kingsway they see a big bright orange fluorescent cannabis leaf so they're gonna see more cannabis stuff outside than they would be than they would see inside inside everything is packaged um unappealingly um and that's what they would see inside so outside they see the big cannabis leaf that's big bright and fluorescent to attract people driving or walking by they see a big like 40 feet by um five feet um sign up top that says kingsway cannabis so that is more appealing in my opinion than than uh, plain packaging that they'd see inside. Right. And so it's kind of it, crazy. We're allowed, we're allowed to have big flashy lights and LED flashing, blinking um, signs and stuff, but we can't show plain packaging inside. It does seem to to not make a lot of sense. I was even thinking about it, too, because there's a store that I often walk by on my way to work and it sells glass bongs and different things. And these are very I mean, they're they're beautiful, big glass, curvy type bongs and vases. And even if you you had no idea what they were for, they're very pretty and they're eye catching and they draw attention. And I was thinking about it, why something like that and, and what they're used for, that's fine. But like you said it's a federal law that you can't look through a window and see plain packaging yeah absolutely and 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 tell me this what happens if somebody let's now let's go back to monday evening what if my employee would have got shot or hurt by the culprit who came in now when when work safe came in 
Um, could they have said, well, you have frosted windows, so your worker wasn't safe? Does At that point, does that put me as an employer at risk of getting sued or shut down by WorkSafe because I, I provided an unsafe workplace? So, um, so yeah, it, it's absolutely crazy. Let's get rid of the frosting. Um, let's maybe hide some of the stuff you don't want kids to see. And, yeah, you're right. The bongs look awesome uh lots of them are very collectible these days and um anything that uh that stands out that says cannabis or smoke pot or whatever hide that out of view of the uh the public that's looking in uh but but the um just the basic stuff like lighters or uh or little pipes or plain package stuff there's no reason to uh to to hide it do you think this will create a bigger push or will there be some kind of of, of uh, organized movement or lobbying by owners like yourself to have this law changed? Um, I'll tell you, even though um, I do have my store up for sale, I am going to do everything I can in my power um, to try change the laws, um, whether it's me that still owns the store or the new owner or any of the other owners on the block or the lower mainland or the province, uh, because uh, because the employees need to be safe. When you go to work, you don't want to go to work and and wonder if you're gonna um, if somebody's gonna come in and and uh, rob you or hurt you or do anything um, that's gonna affect your livelihood. Right, and I'm I'm assuming your your store was already for sale. You're not selling it because of this. No, it's um, due to health reasons, but that's another story. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's I'm still going to be involved uh, in the industry, but just not in the retail end of it. All right. Well, Charles, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this on the show today. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again, but thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, let's hope next time we talk, we're... Uh, talking about ripping off legally the frosting. No shortage in travel news this week. The very latest in the Flair Airlines story. The airline has now filed a $50 million lawsuit against several plane leasing companies. This is over what it calls the unlawful seizure of four of its aircraft. We know there were also flight cancellations. This was a filing, though, that was made earlier today in Ontario Superior Court. So that's the latest with Flair, which is something we are talking about with Claire Newell, who joins us now as she does every Wednesday afternoon. Claire, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jill. Yeah, in seven days since I last spoke to you, there's so much that has come down. Um, Really bad news for customers of Flair Airlines. Um, With that seizure that happened, it it could not have come at worse timing. The, The start of spring break and so many people lost out and it was a domino effect, you know, although four aircraft were were seized uh, between Toronto, Waterloo, and Edmonton. It just, there were so many people that were affected. And while the airline is saying that they will get people on three flights that they had or three aircraft that they had that were sitting and unused, uh, it's still made for some real nightmares for people. And, and they said that they would do it at their expense and even if it meant putting people on other other airlines. But 
this was this was just a, a real nightmare, Jill. And yeah. it's a real he said, she said. I mean, Flair is saying they had no idea this was coming. And the leasing company that sees those four planes basically said, actually, the carriers routinely missed payments over the past five months. That this was, of course, something that was last resort for, for them and that they were in regular contact with the airline and the representatives about the, the matter. So... I do believe that terminating an aircraft lease is always a last resort. Like you're not seizing planes without lots of warning to a, to a, an airline. Um, but the thing is, is that plane leases are an increasingly hot commodity because there is this supply bottleneck and um, soaring travel demand, as people will have, have seen by the prices, by the airports getting full. And so um, the repossession you know, and the remarketing of this aircraft is something that this lease company is going to do because they'll have people who want want these aircraft if Flair isn't going to, to pay. And what really was a red flag to me in this whole thing was that it was only a million dollars that they say was due, was owing on those. And in, for an airline, that's not, shouldn't be a lot of money. So right. it was really alarming. So just want to just let people know if you're choosing to go on a low-cost carrier, I fully get it. There's some unbelievable deals out there from airlines that really weren't there pre-pandemic. I mean, uh, pre-pandemic. And we, you and I have discussed this. Flair, Canada Jetlines, Lynx, Porter, they're all doing domestic flights now, and, and they're hoping to break into the sun. Some of them already have, like Flair is going to Vegas and Vallarta and a, a number of, of different hotspots. I just caution, if you're going to be doing that, that you would get insurance that covers you for cancellation and interruption. So in, if something happens, that your investment would be protected. So people who their flights were canceled and they couldn't go at a different time, if you'd have the insurance that covered you for this, you would have been able to, if there was space, given it is spring break and there's not a lot of space on any aircraft, you would have been able to look for it. Right. And and a good reminder for people on that as well. What are your thoughts, though, given that we now have this lawsuit launched by Flair? And like you said, it really is uh, com- this company said this company said while well, they work all of this out. But in, mm-hmm. the, in the future, then, is that the main thing? If you are going to go on low cost carriers, make sure you have all of the insurance or do you think people will be put off? Oh, there's definitely people who will be put off and they'll choose to go on more mainstream carriers. But there are still a lot of people who can't travel other than through these low-cost carriers. And a prime example, Jill, was my daughter was going to Calgary Stampede and we booked hers on points with a major carrier. But uh, a bunch of her friends had booked on Flair and Flair changed the flight schedule. They had planned to go several times a week and, you know, the day that they had, these gals had planned to go, they canceled it and it didn't work out for them. They were going to miss the whole stampede by the time they could actually get there with Flair. And so they actually, because it wasn't too far ahead of their departure day that it was canceled, they ended up uh, not being able to go because the only available flights were, you know, Air Canada and WestJet. And it was really expensive by that point. So, and they didn't have insurance. So those types of things may happen. And it's why I always recommend that you get it. And it, I know it seems like, you know, it's an added expense if you're, if you are taking a low cost carrier. I, I get that the flights are, 
are cheap and they're really, really attractive and enticing to buy. I, I, I know people who've gone on some of these low costs and have gone across the country for under $300 return. It's, it's really good, but it, and it is an added expense to get that type of insurance. But depending on how long you're going on, how old you are and, um, uh, how much you're spending, it, it may be absolutely worthwhile doing because I have seen countless, as I'm sure you have reported on over your career in media, there's probably in the 30 years I've been in the industry, about 25 airlines that have come and gone trying to right. carve market share by offering these super, super cheap uh, airfares into the marketplace and then not being able to sustain it, neither closing or really reducing the number of flights that they're doing, uh, you know, from, say, four times a week to once. And it doesn't always work out for the clients. Right. Okay. That's uh, good, good to keep in mind. Now, as we talk about this, though, another air, Lynx Air, is actually expanding. Yeah, they're expanding. Again, this is an ultra low cost carrier. So, um, this is, they're adding the addition of Montreal to their network. And this is going to start in June. Perfect time, of course, just as kids are getting, going to be getting out of school and people will be, uh, flying. They now will be flying in North America to 15 destinations. So all of these carriers that we're talking about are starting to grow and spread their wings. Um, but I just always want to caution. You know, I've, I've been asked many times, would I book a low-cost carrier? And it's not that I wouldn't. If I have the option to, I probably won't. First of all, I love my status on Air Canada and WestJet, so I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting my points. Um, but it's because I've seen this type of situation. And if I did, because it was the only, say, non-stop to a route, or they were the only that had seats left and I really wanted to go to a destination, I would do it, but I would make sure I had trans. Uh, travel insurance that covered me for that cancellation and interruption. No question. All right. Let's uh, move on from that and talk about uh, this other story that has been getting a lot of attention, and it's the terms on the WestJet acquisition of Sunwing. Yeah, so I don't know if you read all the the, the, the stipulations that ha- that they have to to deal with. The strings that are attached from the Minister of Transport came out late Friday. I have to say, this deal was announced a year ago. It never really sat well with me. If, if people have heard me speak to other, um, I, I, I chatted with Sterling about this and I sat, chat with Jazz Joe Hall and it never has sat well with me because it's knocking out uh, another competitor, essentially. There are some strings attached, but I don't know whether they hold that much weight. Like they have to keep offices in both Toronto and in Montreal for five years. Well, I don't know. I'm a business owner. I know that five years to wrap up a lease is that's how long it takes, you know, if you right. want to merge things. And the other thing was um, the, the red flag for me was the Competition Bureau flagged this for a reason. These companies do essentially the same thing. And first of all, I love both of these companies. I work with them very, very closely. But um, the fact that 31 routes were identified in Canada, going to either Mexico or the Caribbean, it was going to kick out some competition. And that 16 of those 31 routes, it was going to be gaining a monopoly, is never good news for consumers. Obviously, I don't want the the um, alternative, which would be Sunwing, which is privately held to go under post pandemic that I would hate that. So, you know, it's better that they're merging than that happening, but it's not good for consumers. So, you know, part of me is a business person. The other part of me is a consumer buying trips on these types of vacations. So, um, and here in the West, it's really tough because we only have Air Canada vacations, WestJet vacations. We can, um, WestJet vacations will allow you to also book Swoop as part of their vacations because they're sister brands. Um, but, 
the other would be Sunwing. So we really don't have a lot of competition. We did have Transat up until about three years ago, but they're not in this market either. So here in the West, there's not a lot of choice which means higher prices, as people would know, because I'm not finding the, you know, $7.99 all-inclusive deals that I used to be sharing on these segments with you. Right. So what about uh, WestJet and code share flights? Uh, and this was something you had flagged as well, that they've been given the approval from the CTA. Okay. So this is code share's totally different part of the world. Um, Canadian Transport Agency has approved requests from WestJet to operate international service to a few more destinations in Asia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, the Philippines, and Singapore. Interesting about Singapore that they would put it in for that destination because we already, you and I chatted, Singapore Airlines is already kind of bugging out of this market in October of this year. So it'll be interesting to see what what comes of this. But um, this all comes as a bit of an update because WestJet in December announced that this coming summer they were going to start their first Asian flight from Calgary to Tokyo, Japan. So this is obviously part of the the world that they want to focus on. So, you know, when that service may start with co-chairs, I'm not sure, but I'll keep you posted for sure. (laughs) All right. Uh, That uh, will be uh, interesting to see that for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit as well about uh, air traffic we know is increasing and people are going places. So we've got we've got that to talk about as well as if you are planning a trip to Paris, one of the biggest kind of uh, landmark draws is going to be reopening. Yeah. So um, let's quickly touch on air traffic. So. Um, we're always a wee bit behind from the IATA, which is the International Air Transport Association's documentation that comes out. And so they just last week, it came out that we are at 84% of pre-pandemic levels, which is fairly good. And as you can tell, the lineups are getting busier. If you're planning, you know, if you you were leaving for spring break, my husband just left on a trip, a business trip to Cincinnati, and he said, oh, oh tell people to get there early. It's so busy. Um, it took him 30 minutes to get through the Nexus line, and he said it was well over an hour and a half um, to go through the, the regular without a Nexus through security. Anyway, um, it is expected to be an even busier spring and summer. So that's really good news as far as air traffic. But um, yes, Paris, talking about Notre Dame, you may remember that less than six years ago, or just about six years ago, a fire ravaged its roof and it's been closed. So people heading to Paris, that's one of the things that they want to knock off um, seeing. Typically Notre Dame, uh, the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe and the Champs-Élysées. Obviously, those are things you want to see. Um, but starting next summer... They're, oh, sorry, the end of 2024. They're hoping that people will be able to actually go in and visit. So that's really great news. And actually, later this year, they should have the big spire up, which will be kind of a big, powerful statement of its revival. It was really interesting to me, um, the number of people that are working on this, though, Jill. Every single day in Paris, as well as across the country of France, about a 1,000 people work to rebuild Notre Dame. Hmm. Every single day. Yeah. And for six years. So it's a lot of work, obviously. All right. So that's uh, good to see that back. And what about uh, the uh, European travel information and authorization system? Yeah, that's been an interesting thing. We've been hearing time and time again that imminently we would be having to use this system, which is basically collects data before you go. Um, It'll collect some biometric information as well as all your passport details where you're flying into Europe and when you're leaving and where you'll be leaving from, that it was going to be introduced in 
2022, then it was moved to 2023. It's actually now its fourth time being moved. So the good news is the start date now been pushed back to sometime in 2024. We don't know. So if you are planning to travel this year to Europe or the Shenzhen countries, you don't have to do anything. It's just business as usual. All right. So we will wait and uh, see when when there is uh, any movement on that file. Uh, on yeah. that note, let's get people traveling. What deals do you have? Well, I thought I would share a seven-night Alaska cruise that's leaving in May. So this is kind of early in the season, but for those who have been faithful listeners, um, you'll know that I left on May 24th last year for my very first seven-night Alaska cruise. So, And I had fantastic weather. It's often the driest time to go. So seven-night Alaska cruise, two dates. May the 17th or the 24th, which is what I did last year. It is sailing round trip from Vancouver. It's cruise only, $3.99. The taxes are more, Jill, of $4.66, but that's a great deal if you have not knocked off Alaska off your bucket list. Still, people really are wanting hot spots. So uh, Puerto Vallarta, a few dates between April the 4th and April 16th, air and seven nights in a four-star beachfront all-inclusive resort for $10.99 taxes of 426. I thought this was a cool deal. Seven night California cruise. So you board the ship here in Vancouver and then you hit Victoria, Astoria, Oregon, San Francisco, San Diego, and then end in LA. So you need to add a one-way flight from LA to Vancouver, but the seven night cruise on October the 8th is 499. The taxes uh, 415. And do we have time for the last one? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so this is um, a long stay. A lot of people are waiting for this. We had released a couple of weeks ago on your segment, the Costa del Sol in Spain. Now we have the Algarve region in Portugal. It's October the 30th. The reason I mention these is they sell out so fast and people are disappointed, but this one has just come out. October the 31st, airfare, 21 nights in the Algarve region two nights in Lisbon with a city tour of Lisbon and all of the transfers that you'll need. It's $2,029. The taxes are $850. So there you have it. All right. Lots of variety there. Claire, as always, great to chat with you and we will talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jill. Well, it is certainly a beautiful time of year when the cherry blossoms start blooming and some of the streets just become awash in pink. As you know, though, there have been some uncertain times for the Vancouver Cherry Blossom Festival. We are pleased to say, though, it will now launch as planned on April 1st, thanks to some new funding. Joining us to talk a little bit more about this is Michael Dove, Executive Director of the Vancouver Cherry Blossom Festival. Michael, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Jill. Great to be here. Well, it's good news that the festival is going ahead. How? Uh, tell us a bit about the funding and who has come forward. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we have a uh, you know our main lead sponsor had to drop out uh, about a month ago um, due to some financial issues, and that certainly put us in a rough spot. And we were having to make some big decisions about if we could even go forward this year. Uh, but luckily, the word got out, and a lot of people reached out to us, and um, we were we had an eighty thousand dollars shortfall, and we've made up all of that with um, a couple different sponsors. Um, the first being Edge Construction. Um, they've stepped in and become the new uh, lead presenting sponsor, um, and it's the first time they've sort of gotten to a like large scale sponsorship before. So, like, really grateful for them. 
um, as well as the Yale Town BIA, and then um, a group of car dealerships um, who are part of the game group, uh, Alfa Romeo and Fiat, Vancouver, Lotus, and Polestar. So they all stepped in um, and made up all of that shortfall, and we're all good to go. That uh, must be quite a relief, and and great to see so many companies coming forward to help out. Yeah, especially, you know, I think we, as the conversations we've been having with sponsors over the last year, there's a lot of people who are in tough financial positions. And so that was certainly a fear that there would, it just wouldn't be a, a good time for people. But uh, yeah, they stepped up and um, really great news because, you know, certainly we put on these events and that's, we feel like they're really important to the city, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes too, in terms of the artists we bring in, the vendors. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty about that. And so we know that that brings a lot of exposure to them. So yeah, it's really, really yeah, a huge amount of relief. It's been a lot of uh, sleepless nights over the last month. And I would imagine, too, because this festival, like all festivals, was also shut down because of the pandemic and went through those tough mm-hmm. times. So that's got to be even more so coming out of it and being excited to get the festival back up and running and then being faced with those challenges as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, we've been we've been around for 17 years and the festival's always um, had, you know, a significance, I think, in the city calendar. But coming out of the pandemic, we really learned um, the role that we can play in sort of what life is like uh, coming out of leaving, however we want to sort of phrase, um, sort of a pandemic phase. You know, our numbers last year were record numbers at all of our events. And what we kept hearing was, hey, we were locked in for a couple of years and we weren't able to connect with our neighbors in the same way. We weren't able to get outside and share experiences with people. And I think that people started to, you know, I think a lot of us found a new appreciation for nature during lockdown because that was the one thing that we did have access to. Um, But so I think that we, that's really changed how we've approached the festival and thinking about not only is it a moment to appreciate spring beginning um, and sort of natural beauty, but also what are the health benefits, mental health, physical health, to being out in nature, to connecting to people, to feeling like, you know, so many people love to say, like, this is a city where it's difficult to make friends. And that's become our new mission. Like, let's really change that myth. Let's do events that really get people to have meaningful experiences with one another and meet new people. So what does the festival actually include? Because on the one hand, I think people that live in neighborhoods with the cherry blossoms will know that at that time of year, they they flower and it's gorgeous and you can walk around and see them. But what what actually takes place then as part of the official festival? Yeah, the easiest thing, the thing that's free, is that we have all of these beautiful trees in, in our city to look at and to appreciate. And so what we try to do is create some events around that. Um, everything from neighborhood walks with different arborists and, and tree specialists who can talk about um, how the how the trees work and what, what the blossoming schedule is like and just a little bit about how they work with the ecosystem of our city. Um, but then we also have some large-scale events. So April 1st is our what we call the Big Picnic. Um, and that's going to be at David Lamb Park, and it's free, and it's an all-day concert and food trucks and lots of different craft vendors and things for kids, um, free yoga classes. Um, and then we also have the, you know, the, the cherry blossom trees. Uh, the cherry trees were a gift from the nation of Japan and some different um, provinces and cities of Japan. And so on the 15th and 16th of April, we do an event called Sakura Days Japan Fair, where we take over the Van Dusen Gardens um, for those two days. It's the only thing that happens within the garden. Um, And that's a a full festival that's all about Japanese culture. We've got, I think, 25, 26 different uh, Japanese food vendors and food trucks. 
all day concerts on both days, lots of crafts, lots of things you can buy. Um, yeah, it's really an incredible event. And last year it was completely sold out and the tickets just went on sale yesterday morning for that. So now that we're able to move ahead, um, we're looking at already looking at those numbers are starting to fill up. So, um, that's the only event that we do that is ticketed. Um, so that's the 15th and 16th. Um, and then we've got just some other things spread throughout. We've got some haiku workshops. Um, and then on the 22nd of April, we're going to bring back our event called Bike the Blossoms, which we were not able to do last year because of some COVID restrictions. And so that's a, a nice bike ride through several neighborhoods. We're going to start at Trout Lake. Um, people love to dress up. There's going to be music all throughout the um, the, the procession. Um, yeah, really excited to be able to bring that event back. And does it also give people the opportunity? You mentioned some of the trees as far as being a gift from Japan, but does it give people as well a chance to learn more about these trees? Because I think maybe we've all probably walked by or walked down a street with these trees and appreciated them, but really don't know the history. Yeah, so the original history was the trees were a gift to commemorate um, Canadians who had uh, died in, in the war. And, but, you know, quickly it became a really popular tree. Um, and so the city started implementing them and putting them on city streets. They work really well on city streets. They don't have a too deep of a root base, so they don't interfere with a lot of infrastructure. Um, but also they have this pretty spectacular natural event that happens every year that we're all really used to. And I think that what that means to me is that it's this, and, and this comes, you know, certainly from the Japanese culture of this metaphor of, uh, there's this one time of the year where this event happens and it goes away very quickly. And what that should inspire is this moment to say, okay, there is, there are beautiful things in our life and sometimes they're temporary, sometimes they're fleeting. Um, so let's take a moment to appreciate them. And I think that's a great lesson for a lot of the things in our life. All right. It is definitely. Uh, where can people go as far as uh, the website or learn more about the events that are taking place? Yep. Everything is on our website, which is uh, VCF. Um, uh, oh, sorry. Are you still there? Yeah. Um, uh, is uh, VCBF.ca. Um, so that's Vancouver Cherry Blossom Festival.ca. Um, and all of the events are there and all the tickets um, are on sale for Sakura Days, but there's a full calendar. Um, as well as a online interactive map where people can find where things are blooming and when. Um, we know that some of them are starting to bloom this past week, uh, but the majority of them should start in about two weeks. All right. I know a lot of people will be looking forward to that and will be pleased to hear the festival was saved. Michael, we'll leave it there today, but thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Take care. As you just heard on the news, Crime Stoppers unveiled a new campaign earlier today called Guns and Gangs. It is an advertising campaign aimed at getting as many people to see it as possible and to report any crimes that they may know about or any information about crimes that they may know about. And as you heard as well, it has a certain movie theme to it. In our modern world, anyone can be a hero. Crime Stoppers presents The Gunman's Barber. His anonymous tip, put a killer behind bars. Hear about a crime? Send tips to Crime Stoppers. You stay anonymous. Criminals don't. 
That's just one of the parts of the campaign, the gunman's barber. There is also the gang member's gym buddy and the drug dealer's neighbor. So you are going to be seeing these in movie theaters, on social media, on television. They will be screened as trailers as well. And again, getting the message out there that if you know about something, you can anonymously give that tip to Crime Stoppers. Well, joining us to talk a bit more about this and what else can be done to stop gangsters is Doug Spencer, a gang expert. He's also retired from the Vancouver Police Department. Doug, thank you so much for being with us. You're more than welcome. This was an announcement made earlier today. It's Crime Stoppers uh, talking about their new Guns and Gangs ad campaign. Uh, pretty flashy. It's a PSA that's going to be in movie theaters, TV. There'll be posters, billboards at buses, uh, social media campaign. Uh, what are your thoughts on a flashy type campaign like this, trying to get people more aware and to, to get these these gangsters off the streets? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, messaging kind of comes in all different varieties you know odd squad we're trying to reach the youth and get the the messaging about the dangers and misery of gangs it's great at crime stoppers has taken a step to message out to people that you know it, it may not be your son that was gunned down yesterday but it could happen and i've seen a number of uh, completely innocent people get murdered over the years by these gangsters when they start pulling the trigger all over the place. So whatever you can do to inform the public, go for it. And does it help, do you think, then, does it complement exactly like you're saying, when people see those stories, when you see on the news or on the radio somebody that got shot in a parking lot who was just going about their day, just grocery shopping, when we have those real-life examples, unfortunately, does this kind of complement that? No, for sure. I mean, you know, given with social media and now all the different things, it's just been so bad lately that I think the public is almost desensitized to it. Unless it comes into their kitchen or their neighbor's shot or a relative or something, they just kind of glaze over and aren't really interested. But, um, you know, it, it takes a community approach to slow this down, and I don't think we'll ever stop it. But just if, if you start young, it, you know, as young as grade five at Odd Squad, we go and talk to school kids. When they go up to high school, they're now prepared for the kid who wants them to sell drugs for them and join a gang. So they can give the right answers and, and make the right decisions, not unlike an adult, right? Lots of adults, they'll go out nightclubbing and hang around with these guys and think it's all cool. But next thing you know, their girlfriends get shot because of their the company they're keeping. So you really got to understand that it's a community thing and it's going to be a community approach that's going to inform everybody exactly how dangerous these guys are. And when we see things changing a little bit when it comes to campaigns like this and getting that reach to people to let them know about the dangers and uh, about uh, what people need to be aware of, are things changing, though, do you think, as far as gang recruitment and and the types uh, and what the tools that that they are using to try and recruit younger people and to get people involved? Yeah, no, the last time Crime Stoppers did something similar, they, they got a, over 100 arrests. 
So the community stepped up to the plate and started telling the police what's going on, right? Because the police, the police don't aren't always there to see what's happening in real time, right? So, you know, it, you know, everybody's going to say, "Oh, the the bulletproof vest thing's crazy." But when I do talks to kids, I talk about uh, Fifty Cent. You know, big rapper star. He's got to wear a bulletproof vest everywhere he goes. You know, is that fun? And the kids nod their head. They understand now. Yeah, who wants to do that? It's not as cool as the music depicts, right? So, yeah, you whatever you can do to make people understand, we got to fix this problem because, you know, we're usually about 10 years behind the U.S. and what's happening, and we're starting to be like the U.S. up here. Uh, how so? Do you mean with the number of guns or the, the way crimes are being committed? Oh, yeah, just the the weapons being used. I mean, the courts have a lot to do with that. They keep bailing out these guys using firearms and stuff. You know, they're doing us no favors. And, in fact, they're doing the crook no favors, too. Those guys, guys get bailed out, gangsters I know, and then they get shot because they're in that lifestyle. Keeping them in jail, especially young gang members, you're actually keeping them safe. So... Yeah, it, it's just, uh, it, it is totally out of control. I've never seen Vancouver like it's been. Hmm. And, and that's one part of it, certainly, like you said, uh, sentencing or even kind of uh, uh, enforcing the rules, the laws when it comes to illegal guns. Uh, this obviously is another part. It's a campaign. It's encouraging people uh, to come forward with anonymous tips about gang activity or, or crimes. What else do you think, though, needs to be done if we are, like you say, going down that road and it's becoming more and more prevalent? Yeah, I mean, obviously you start young with the kids and make them understand that it's not glorious and glamour like they're told in rap videos and the media, right? The stuff they see because kids copycat what they see and hear. So um, you start with them. You also inform, we do talks to parents so the parents know what their kids are up to because a lot of parents are out there working hard to bring home food and the table and stuff and they're oblivious to what their kids are out there doing and who they're hanging around with, right? Mm-hmm. I went to a, a funeral of a young 16-year-old gang member, and he's showing up every night in a brand-new Escalade, and the parents knew it. I said, did you ever ask him where he got the Escalade? No. Well, come on. That's common sense. That's the first thing a parent should do. Where are you getting the money? Right? Right. Yeah, I mean, you're not buying a, an Escalade if you're working a minimum wage job part-time. Yeah, no, for sure. And some of them are even students. They're driving around brand-new Lexus and Beamers and stuff. Come on, parents, wake up. What, you know what I mean? Oh, so for it, sure. You, you have to let them know, like, come on, you, these are the telltale signs that your kid is making bad decisions. What advice, though, would you give for, so say a parent notices this, suddenly, uh, you know, there are there are new vehicles, flashy vehicles, maybe there are designer clothes, there are things that there there's not an explanation as to where the money is coming from to purchase these things. If a parent does confront a young person about that, what do you do after that, though, if the young person says, oh, none of your business, so comes up with a reason, what does a parent do at that point? Yeah, we've had parents reach out to us at Odd Squad and have us come to the school where their kid goes to 
and talk to the kids along with all the other kids um, with their child, what's going on out there in the gang world? How the gangs use you to sell their drugs and take all the risk, right? With very little reward, uh, you know, about using drugs, getting fronted drugs. Um, you end up owing the gang money and then you start doing all their dirty work for them. So it's just parents, there's a, a million ways they can educate themselves and get the police involvement, certainly with Vancouver schools, getting the school officers back in there, that's going to help about a thousand percent because uh, I can tell you since they were out, there's been a number of students in Vancouver killed involved in gangs and stuff because of the lack of officers being there as a resource, right? And you can link that. How do you link that specifically to an officer not being in school? Well, you know, the officers in school, they connect with the kids. They, If a kid's having issues, he's getting recruited into a gang, he's not going to go talk to his counselor or his teacher or parent about it. Quite often, daily, they will come into the office and say, hey, this guy's bullying me, he's trying to get me to sell drugs for him and stuff. And the officers can deal with it very discreetly, right? They're not there to throw anybody in jail. They're there to make the kids safe. So they can deal with it. And I know hundreds of cases from my time in Vancouver where school officers saved these kids' lives. And do you think with the return of them then uh, and and dealing with maybe some of the concerns of of the school officers that there's a way to make the program even better and more people trusting and more people using that resource? Oh, for sure. I mean, I understand these BIPOC students don't feel comfortable with police in there, you know, based on the distrust with the police where they come from, um, some of the stuff that's gone on in the U.S., which is really not comparable to Canada, um, you know, the, the treatment of BIPOC people, sit down with the officers and talk to them. Half of the officers now in Vancouver are BIPOC officers themselves, hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you'll get a connection there and they'll st- earn that trust. And then the, the officers will be more and more aware of what's going on in that school and be uh, better able to protect the kids from gangs and drugs and all the other bad stuff out there. And and one more tool, uh, I would imagine, then kind of all going together and back to, to the campaign that we're talking about today, one more tool to try and combat this. Yeah, totally. It, it, the more tools, the better. There's all these different programs, uh, you know, uh, keep, gang safe and and you know and gang life and you know vancouver police have a a gang uh awareness program and stuff not every program is going to reach every kid so if you have all these different programs and messaging including the crime stopper thing coming at people one of them may connect with that kid or that parent and they'll figure it out before they get in harm's way. So the more messaging, the better. All right, Doug, always good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making the time today. You're more than welcome, Jill. Take care.